Since its launch in 1990, Teach for America has fielded more than 680,000 applications and prepared some 68,000 teachers, who in turn have taught more than 10 million students. The organization seeks to improve American education not just through its core members' work during their two years in the classroom, but also by shaping the values and careers of those core members, many of whom have taken on leadership roles within the education sector and beyond. While TFA's vision that one day all children will have the opportunity to attain an excellent education has garnered widespread praise, critics on both ends of the political spectrum allege that the organization promotes a particular, perhaps suspect, view of reform. So just how does the experience of participating in TFA shape its alumni's views? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Teach for America CEO, Elisa Villanueva Beard. Elisa started her career teaching first and second grade through TFA in Phoenix, Arizona. She then led the organization's work in the Rio Grande Valley before becoming its chief operating officer and, in 2013, CEO. I'm thrilled that she's agreed to join me to discuss the new article, How Teach for America Affects Beliefs About Education, which will appear in the winter 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Elisa, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Hey, Marty. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So the article we're discussing provides the first hard evidence on how participating in TFA affects core members' beliefs about American education and how best to improve it. And it does that by surveying applicants to the program between 2007 and 2015, and then comparing the responses of those who scored just above the program's selection cutoff, who were much more likely to teach with the organization, to the applicants who scored just below. We'll get to what those comparisons revealed in just a minute, but let's start on a more personal level. How did your own experience as a TFA core member affect your beliefs about education? So as you, as you said, Marty, I was a 1988 core member and I taught in Phoenix. Um, and, you know, that question in my mind brings up three clear moments for me that, that really had an impact. Um, the first was my very first day of teaching right out of college. Um, I had 36 first graders walk into my door. I had 30 desks. I had no books and I had no curriculum. Um, and I quickly came to realize that my kids had no letter recognition um, and they were part of a bilingual system that truly had no coherence or vision um, throughout my elementary school. Um, and my school just lacked the basics of what you would expect any child to have um, that is attending any school, you know, a rigorous curriculum, a clear vision, a conducive learning environment, and so forth. That's one story. The second sort of image that comes into my mind is um, one of my students, Jasmine, had these chronic headaches. And for a while, I thought maybe she just would, you know, was trying to get out of work. Um, but what I came to realize is that she had horrific tooth pain because she had a mouthful of cavities. Um, and when I started to ask the rest of my kids about dental hygiene practices, I came to realize, you know, my kids didn't practice, have the basics on dental hygiene or didn't have access to dental care. Um, and, and that was the beginning of me becoming exposed to understanding that my kids are coming to school with so many unmet needs that are just basic needs that every child should have. And that the third story I would say um, that has stuck with me and really shaped me was that um, I 
was, you know, your first year typical core member. I was terrified to let my children down and I was climbing a very steep learning curve. And so I worked very hard. I was that person that beat everyone to school except our janitor um, and would stay late. And this one afternoon in my first semester of teaching, a veteran teacher came into my classroom and she asked, you know, as we were chatting, she asked me um, why I worked so hard because she wanted to know if I realized that we were teaching the future prisoners of the state of Arizona, which was incredibly shocking and obviously disturbing but really just deepened my own courage of conviction because that was the backdrop. But what I found is that my children consistently just could, would rise to the occasion. They were excellent. Of course, they had the abilities to do just what any other kid could have. They just hadn't had the exposure opportunity. Um, and then I came to realize, like, there are just so many barriers here that need to be overcome in terms of supporting my kids to get their unmet needs met. And then, of course, doing all the work um, that must be done in, in the schools and education and in my own classroom. Um, but through it all, as I got to know my students and families, I mean, they're just hardworking folks who are, are my parents are trying to do what's best for their kids um, and sometimes needed a little extra support um, to know how to best support their kids. Um, but overall, you just saw this context where everyone just wanted to excel. And so I emerged from my experience really just inspired by my students and my families. I was pretty outraged about um, what was happening and how much of, you know, a child's access or opportunity is just driven by where she or, she or he happens to be born and where he or she happens to go to school. Um, and, and I think I started to just better understand the complexity of the problem um, that things happening outside of school in communities you know, where children are living in poverty and what that means inside of classrooms and whole schools and, and districts um, and what, you know, the beginning of what it might take to um, do something about this and really committed to being part of the solution and really committed and determined to get to the day when, when truly every child does have access to a great opportunity. And in introducing our conversation, I noted TFA's two-pronged theory of change that aims to address those challenges that you saw firsthand during your time in Phoenix, both through its core members' time teaching and through their subsequent leadership inside and outside of the sector. As CEO, how do you see those two avenues of impact and is one more important than the other? I would say that both are critical, they're interconnected, and, and I would say one depends on the other. And so what I mean by that is, you know, our first promise at Teach for America is to our children. Um, and so we bring folks into classrooms, and so we have to deliver for them, and we have to ensure that we are providing the kind of education that our children deserve. And it is through that teaching and, you know, doing whatever it's going to take to ensure kids get what they need um, that your leadership skills are developed, that you start to learn a lot about yourself and what's required and understanding the systemic nature of the problem. Um, I often say that the classroom is just a microcosm of all the inequities that, you know, play out. Um, and the job of the teacher is to make sure you get it done for kids while processing this experience and starting to, for yourself, figure out, um, you know, what is my theory on you know, the root causes and the solutions that I might pursue 
but the whole idea here is that whether you decide to stay in the classroom, become a principal or become an elected official, go off to be, you know, a doctor or a lawyer, um, that you're very consciously contributing to working towards, um, you know, this effort to, for equity and excellence for all kids. And that is what, you know, the over 60,000 network we have um, is getting up with the objective to, to ensure that we're working toward that end every day. Now, the article we're discussing studies how the experience of participating in TFA affects alumni's views. Can you tell us just a bit about what participation entails, what experiences all core members share, and the kinds of settings in which they teach? Sure. So every participant that joins us, I would say just from a like a very basic level, um, has a certain belief, which is that we believe that talents and smarts are distributed equally across all lines of difference, but the opportunity to meet that potential is, is not always there. And so you join Teach for America because you're committed to being part of the solution. You're committed to joining the network of leaders who are working alongside many others to drive real change. Um, and our theory is that you need to get, you know, folks really proximate to the problem so that the problem becomes personal and raw and really propels you to do something about this for life. Um, it builds conviction, it builds courage and, you know, the will to, to, to do the hard stuff that's required in order to make real change. And so we've seen um, over and over again that getting folks in the middle of this changes hearts and minds. It leads to a lifetime commitment of working towards equity and excellence for all kids. And, and you come to understand, again, the, the systemic barrier that our children are up against. And you realize that um, progress actually really can be made at the individual level, but the long-term sustained enduring progress needs to be, you know, at, at the systems level. And so all of our core members are placed in the classroom. They teach in urban and rural communities that are, you know, that serve low-income communities and, and predominantly students of color. Um, they all go through a six to seven week training um, that are run either regionally or nationally. And they all, um, when they enter the, the classroom, they all have a set of supports um, that we have in every community that is actively supporting our teachers to be great for kids in the classroom, but also nurturing the community of, you know, of the core that they're a part of um, and working towards this change together. So let's turn to the article's findings. The Authors, Catherine Kahn, Virginia Lovison, and Cecilia Moe, first examine a series of questions about the sources of educational inequity in the United States. And they conclude, I'll quote them, that TFA participants are more likely to believe that societal issues, not differences in the actions or values of students from low-income backgrounds, exacerbate income-based differences in achievement. So for example, they're less likely to agree that Poor families don't value education as much as richer families and more likely to agree that systematic injustices perpetuate inequity throughout society. Why do you think that's the case? I mean, I would say very simply because that is what you see. You know, you see it for yourself. We actually see this playing out. Um, with real people in real classrooms, with real children and families. And so you, you really get in the middle of it. Again, this proximity brings insights and understanding of the complex nature of the problem, 
um, but also like, you know, what are the root causes? Um, and, you know, I've never met a core member that, you know, would say at the end of two years that, you know, our families don't care about their kids' education or, you know, you, you just more deeply understand all that's at play, um, which is the power of getting right in the middle of it. And then a second set of questions explores TFA alums' views of prominent education reforms. And here there were a few surprises, at least to me. I was struck by the fact that TFA participants were 15 percentage points less likely to support the expansion of high-quality charter schools, despite the fact that many of them had taught in those settings. TFA participants were also less likely to see a need to reduce dependence on standardized testing in American schools. And despite allegations that TFA is some kind of a union-busting organization, TFA participation had no impact on participants' views of collective bargaining. What do you Mm -hmm. make of those findings? Well, you know, I must say, Marty, I'm not surprised by the findings, so I I understand that some folks might be, because I do think there's this impression that everyone in the Teach for America network comes to the same conclusions about the solutions that we ought to be pursuing. Um, And um, in fact, you know, I would say the thing that we have in common is that we deeply care about public schools. We deeply care about ensuring every child truly has, you know, educational excellence and equity and this unwavering belief in the potential of our kids. And so it's hard to to tell, I think, the average alum that things aren't possible or there's just not a way forward. Um, But beyond that, I do really, my experience is that in terms of what are the pathways forward for progress and solutions, they really do vary. And I think they vary because the the work is so local and different commu- and you know i think people root themselves in their communities obviously and um and they find that there are different ways forward and you realize that you know the solutions are in the community and they must be co-created by this by the community and so folks um you know come to different conclusions i mean if we just take the charter findings um they do show that tfa folks are right in the middle they're neutral on charters and the reason it's not surprising to me is because, um, you know, we're in fifth, over 50 different communities and, and the regions are different, how folks articulate what the needs are um, and what how folks are trying to advance, you know, the work and what the vision is for the community and children are different. And so how they come at it varies. And in some of our communities, there's, you know, a lot of excellent public, you know, high-quality district schools and charter schools. Some have more charter schools than, than um, district schools, and I think that really does shape how our, our folks think about the work. Um, and, you know, I, of course, you know, in the paper, it also talks about how our TFA alum um, are responsible for founding some of the most successful and highest-impact charter schools in the country, like HIP and IDEA and Yes Prep. Um, and more of which, you know, I believe have played such a critical role in showing us what's possible, you know, and putting children on fundamentally different trajectories that are coming from low-income communities and children of color. Um, and I personally witnessed this um, because I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley where IDEA has been operating for over 20 years and it's been incredible. Um, but I just think at the end of the day, folks um, are rooted in their community and, you know, taking their lessons learned and applying them in different ways. Um, and when it comes down to any particular policy question, I think just getting 
rooted in the context and the vision and, you know, what the community is co-creating is where the solutions come, um, which end up varying region by region. And then a final set of items reveals that the TFA experience doesn't make core members more cynical or pessimistic about the challenge of improving education. In fact, yeah. alums are more likely than non-participants to agree that it's possible for all children to attain an excellent education and less likely to agree that there's only so much teachers can do to help low-income students succeed. That result must be gratifying as one could easily imagine the differences going the other way. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to to see that, you know, our folks are emerging from this with optimism and hope and a deep belief that the problem is solvable, which is, you know, the big objective here as folks enter the work. Um, and so much of it, I would say, is um, really being able to be with your students and see what they're capable of. Um, and then doubling down and realizing that there has to be a path forward and um, being part of, you know, challenging the status quo and creating different realities is, is our mandate. Um, and, and our kids show us why that's needed. And, and it's sort of, you can't, um, you can't unlook, you know, um, when you see something, you can't unlook it and you, you stick with it and, and do whatever you can to ensure that you do your part to contribute to the end of ensuring all kids get what they deserve. Now, as we noted before, TFA alumni are increasingly moving into positions of leadership in American education. I recently saw that firsthand as a member of the Massachusetts State Board of Education when all three finalists for the open position of commissioner mm -hmm. had started their careers with TFA. We chose the one with the most experience in our own state but it was not long before the other two candidates who we didn't choose had become state chiefs in mm -hmm. Rhode Island and Tennessee. And, you know, looking more broadly, you see TFA alums as state legislators, as district superintendents, as union presidents, and, and more. Uh, you all have a partner 501c4 organization, Leadership for Educational Equity, that mm -hmm. helps fund and train alumni to enter political office and other positions of leadership, you know, as you look across those TFA alums who have moved into public leadership, what do you see them sharing in common and, and how is this second prong of the theory of action going? Yeah, so I, you know, just on the, the point of these commissioners of education or state chiefs, 16% um, of all state chiefs in our country are now TFA alums, which is pretty remarkable. and. We have folks working on every level of, of the system. Um, and I would say, like, my observation is that they share the values and beliefs um, that, you know, we, I, I think, are in we have in common in our TFA network, which is this just unwavering belief in students, um, a deep understanding of the systemic nature of the problem and the complexity of it. Um, and because these folks have, you know, built strong relationships with students and families firsthand, you sort of have this, like, courage of conviction to be willing to take on the tough challenges and, and have, you know, a, a common theme of holding themselves accountable to real results and, and going after the big goals um, that are needed, even when they are incredibly difficult to pursue. Um, and I think that um, I, I observe these folks, you know, really pursuing educational um, innovations 
that are rooted in the unique assets um, and the needs of each community. And so um, it's incredible and an honor to be part of, you know, the network of folks who um, are going after it and, um, and working alongside many others to get there. Now, the core of TFA's mission and model has remained constant since Wendy Kopp founded it in 1990, but the mm-hmm. organization has also evolved in some significant ways over the past 29 years. As you look at TFA in 2019 as its CEO, what changes yeah. or new initiatives are you most excited about? Well, you know, there's there's been so much progress that has happened over the last three decades. Um, and obviously there's so much more to be done as we all see. And, you know, we know that our schools today um, aren't preparing, aren't evolving fast enough to ensure that all of our kids are thriving in a 21st century environment, global, you know, world. Um, And so we at TFA are focused on taking all the lessons learned from the last 30 years, you know, scaling the things that we know have worked and really matter, but also are really focused on the new solutions that are needed for all children to be able to learn, lead, and thrive in this rapidly changing world. And so, um, we see an opportunity to accelerate that progress happening at, you know, community by community at the systems and community level um, by ensuring that we're leveraging our over now 60,000 strong network um, and working in coalitions to drive change that is needed. And to get there, we're um, going to be supporting, you know, greater learning and connections among our network um, and also driving collective action or aligned action and impact. Um, We're going to continue to innovate to bring in this next generation, Generation Z or iGen talent, because that is just so critical that we are recruiting the next generation who will pursue solutions differently um, and drive the systemic um, change that is needed. And we're going to work really hard to bring education and specifically, you know, equity and excellence to the forefront of the national conversation. Um, we want to foster public will to ensure that all children can learn, lead, and thrive and know that it's going to take a broad and diverse coalition and every American really being invested um, and working towards the change that's needed for us to be our best as a country. My guest today has been Elisa Villanueva Beard, CEO of Teach for America. You can find the article we've been discussing, How Teacher America Affects Beliefs About Education, on the journal's website at educationnext.org. Elisa, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Marty. Great to be here. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.